Today's show was recorded on August 14th, 2018. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, a man who doesn't need the heat index to tell you how hot he is. <laughs> Caffeine rage? On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we played this week. Some companies are, once again, attacking consumer rights. Bethesda says the situation could be fairly dire if Sony disallows the Elder Scrolls Legends crossplay. Discord is opening its own digital game store. EA creates a, quote, moral compass to prevent Battlefront 2-esque disasters. We'll have our weekly community corner with a suggested topic from Jim on how VR's next generation shows key signs of a maturing market. And we'll also have our Steam weekly discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Good evening, Rage. I say once again as if we haven't been talking for like 45 minutes. You're, you're breaking the illusion. Give or take. Yes, yes. Uh, we have just now started talking for the first time tonight. Ever. E- e- yes, ever. Those 120 the, the pr- previous episodes were all created by AI algorithms. No, they were procedurally generated uh, uh, by a roguelite. Yes. Yes, called po- po- podcasting buddies. <laughs> Buy it on Steam for ninety nine cents, and it does not include a crypto miner at all. Definitely not. It also doesn't include any viruses, and it does include an exe file that works. <laughs> and definitely does not contain just RPG Maker assets flipped again. No, it definitely does not. Are we cynical about the market or what? <laughs> no, no, we are not cynical. Oh, I don't know why I keep doing that little inflection in my voice. It was funny for like two seconds, maybe. And then it got old uh, even to me, but I just kept doing it, hoping the joke would get funny again. Also known as most of your jokes. I gave up, though. <laughs> As also I tend known to as do most of your jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Anyways. Hi. How Hello. are you? Uh, I'm here. I've had my coffee. I'm uh, ready to go tonight. Yeah, me too. I'm not sure it's helping. Although I haven't yawned in like... At least six, five minutes. Six minutes. <laughs> so there's we got that going for me. Which is nice. Yeah. I just kind of had one of those days where I was really tired and kind of all day. Um, oh, with, with or without spinning your office chair? Uh, there was some spinning, I will admit. But yeah, it's been it's been a long weekend. You know what's going on. I For anyone who has attempted to contact me, I hid in offline mode for part of the weekend. And then the <laughs> other part of the weekend, I was like not being very interactive. I had I have some stuff going on. In, in my personal life. Um, and if anyone wants to know, I don't mind to share, but I'm not going to like blast the whole thing out here on the podcast because it has to do with my extended family and I'm going to, or well, Katie's side of the family and I'm going to respect their privacy on the open interwebs. Um, yeah, but, but the I mean, closed you, ones. 
Yeah, but you know, you know what's going on. So I had a had a, a a weekend, let's say, and then today at work was just like this weird like on and off all day. Like this morning, we were slammed, and then there were a couple hours where it was dead. And I got really sleepy. Then we got slammed again, and then the rest of my day kind of just died, petered out. So I'm coming into this evening like tired <laughs> and kind of like but not but not too tired to say uh freaking episode. Yeah, we definitely have the content for another couple of Franken episodes right now, but I'm not too tired. Plus, I want to talk about Monster Hunter World, which would be an excellent segue to games we played. Oh, go for it. I'm just going to... Go for it. <laughs> go for it? Yeah. Okay. Let's go for it. Okay. Are you, are you saying that I should go first? Because I... Well, well, you've already gotten the segue. Come on. Let's go. Sweet. So I, I bought Monster Hunter World... Up. Monster Hunter World this past week. Um, and for people who follow me on Twitter, you'll see that I forgot specifically when it was releasing on PC, which was last Friday or last Thursday. And I saw on Friday that it released, and I was like, oh, sweet baby Jesus, Monster Hunter World. Because that's one of the games, one of the only games I was looking forward to this year. It was Battletech, Monster Hunter World, and Jurassic World evolution those are the three games that like three of the games so in other words uh, if it had the world in it yeah pretty much um but uh you know this is the first year in a long time where every game i have been excited for has come out and had decent enough reviews that i bought it because i bought battletech brand new i guess technically i didn't buy jurassic park my mom bought that for me because she was like, well, I'm just looking we can at play the Jurassic Park together. I'm just looking at the reviews on Steam, and they are not good. For what, Monster Hunter World? Oh yeah. Really, I haven't checked out the Steam reviews. I read several reviews, basically checking its performance, because I knew that I would like the gameplay combination of based on my previous experience with uh, the Monster Hunter franchise, and then the reviews for the consoles confirming basically it was the same game as the older Monster Hunter games. So what are the yeah. Steam reviews saying that's bad? Um, well, it's sitting right now, uh, now mind you, this uh, game only has 17,748 reviews, or or, sorry, 46 reviews. Only, only that many, okay. And it's sitting at 46% uh, recommended. Okay. Looks like mostly due to network connectivity issues. Okay. And also some uh, console-focused uh, uh, UI elements, which, you know, fine. Uh, I mean, it was launched first on consoles, so uh, I'm not happy that it would have a console-focused UI, but, you know, it's understandable that they wouldn't want to completely redo everything. It looks like the main thing is a lot of people either disconnecting or also... Uh, the fact that it's rather weighty on system requirements, particularly around uh, the fog settings. Yeah. So, I have... I mean, I've got a 480. I've got my i7. I, I mean, my computer is somewhere between, like, somewhere around, like, upper mid-range at this point in terms of performance standards. And I haven't had any issue with dips below 60 with some adjustments to the graphics settings. I, mean, I don't I don't have everything set to high. I don't have everything set to ultra or anything like that. There's a lot of mixed 
Um, a lot of extra post-processing effects that I've turned off. Um, a lot of stuff sitting at medium. But yeah, well, I mean, the, the big game thing is I've still uh, seen people with... talking about is uh, that fog setting. Uh, turning it off is 15 frames for some people. Yeah, I did turn the fog off. I don't like the fog, but um, there's an occasional dip below 60, but for the most part, it holds somewhere between 60 and 70. Um, I actually uh, just wound up capping it at 60, um, and that seems the, like my graphic settings seem to be doing just fine. And the game is gorgeous. I mean, even with my settings on mostly medium it still looks better than on the consoles or than the console version and plays at 60 99% of the time. So win-win on that one. Wow, but I mean, have, I can I, see if people oh, oh, were... Sorry, I, I was just looking through here and I was looking at the DLC. Uh, have you gotten your free DLC? Yeah, okay. I have. I, yep. I'm a little surprised that they have free D, uh, cosmetic DLC. Yep. I've got, I got it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've had my settings, you know, like I said, mostly medium. A couple of extra things turned off um, that, honestly, I couldn't tell a real big difference on, but it was take eating into my frame rate quite a bit. I might have noticed on higher resolution or something like that. But, yeah, 1080, 60, pretty easy to maintain on my system with, you know, roughly medium settings. Um, and the game is, is gorgeous. Um, probably the biggest problem is people trying to play this game with keyboard and mouse. It's apparently a shitty port job to try and play it with keyboard and mouse. I went straight to controller just because I've got a lot of experience with the previous monster, several of the previous Monster Hunter games, and I couldn't imagine playing this game keyboard and mouse. It's just one of those games that works better with a controller. Um, but anyways, yeah, Monster Hunter is this interesting thing like i've been familiar with it for a long time the first monster hunter game that i played was the i forget exactly what it was it might have just been like monster hunter psp or something like that but it was the the psp version of monster hunter um and i got that when i got my psp many years ago i was i think i was in middle school i was still riding the school bus and me and a couple of my friends got monster hunter and we would play every day going to and from school and we would link up and we would hunt monsters together um, and then I've owned a couple of other ones. The last one I owned before this one was Monster Hunter 3 on the Wii U. Um, and I played that game to completion, uh, at least in terms of like the main story, as far as that's concerned. Monster Hunter games have never really been super story heavy. There's like a general story that's like, hey, here's why all these monsters are here and, and why you're hunting them. And it typically is along the lines of, like, you want to be the best, or you're a researcher. The very best. The best yeah. that ever was. Or or you're a researcher, and, and killing all of these monsters is how you research them, right? Makes sense? Okay, sweet. Go do it. Um, And this one is, I mean, that's the story for this one. It's like, oh, there's these monsters, and they migrate to this island every so often, so you're going to go hunt them and research them. And, like, you do the hunting, and you've got, like, a partner. Um, the Palico. Who's the, who's the researcher. No, the Palico is just, like, your companion that helps you out in combat. You've actually got, like, a, a research partner who's uh, called your handler. Um, but, I mean, this... What? These, what uh, was Fluffer uh, already taken? <laughs> I called my Palico Mr. Smithers. Um, and 
But, I mean, this game has always been, like, silly, over-the-top, B-movie-type thing. And that continues with this. Like, it it looks pretty good. Well, certain aspects of it look amazing, and certain aspects of it are just kind of like, ha, B-movie stuff. But it's got a lot of... Um, Actually, I mean, it's a, it's a good example, another good example of a double A game. Because, like, it looks gorgeous. The combat system is uh, incredible, and I'll talk much more about that here in a little bit. But then it's, like, only partially voice acted, and the cutscenes, like, the lip syncing is off. And I could see, like, people being bothered by that sort of thing. Absolutely. Like, I'm not saying that you can't be bothered by that. But to me, it's, like, part of the charm of this series of game or, you know, this this game series, having played it over the course of the last decade or so, like, haha, like, they made it look pretty and they expanded the combat system, but it's still, the story is silly and the voice acting is bad. Um, the best way around that, honestly, is to just set it to English subtitles with Japanese voiceover, and then you don't notice. <laughs> uh, but, but if you do like B-movie sort of double-A silliness, do do leave the English language on along with the subtitles, and you can laugh at how bad the voice acting is for a little bit before you switch over to, to Japanese. Uh, there's a, been a lot of comparisons from people comparing this series to Dark Souls. Kyle asked me a little bit about that, too. Um, oh, and for fuck's sake. Does everything have to be Dark Souls? Well, I, I think that's interesting. That like, actually ties into one of my games coming up, by the way. Yeah, well, the, the Monster Hunter series predates... Dark Souls creates Demon Souls, but because it wasn't popular at all in the West, I mean, you know, there were people like me and my friends and a few others who played it, but it was never like a big, it was a very niche title. Also, just title. the weirdos. Yeah, just the weirdos. It was a very niche title in the West. Dark Souls got way more popular over here before Monster Hunter did, so people are comparing Monster Hunter to Dark Souls and asking if it's inspired and whatnot. And there are a few comparisons to be made. For example, much like Dark Souls, the entire way that you play comes down to your equipment set. Um, there's no like stats that you can boost or anything outside of what your equipment gives you. It's and your play styles are vastly different depending on which type of equipment you take into the the battle. And the bulk of the game does revolve around um, the the boss fights, but and and those can be very challenging, like a Dark Souls boss fight. But that's pretty much where the similarities end. And even then, Monster Hunter is nowhere near as punishing as Dark Souls. You don't have the same sort of, well, if you die, you lose everything or lots of your stuff. Or the game doesn't get more difficult if you die. The actual If you mission- die, your Palico's dead for good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, the game is not as open well, Dark Souls isn't really an open world, but you can sort of... It's an of ex- interconnected world. It's interconnected, and you can sort of explore at your own leisure, whereas Monster Hunter World has got a series of smaller handcrafted maps to explore that you unlock once you're able to actually accomplish certain story goals, which basically means you've gotten good enough to, to beat a monster, like one of the specific monsters, and then you unlock the next area. Um... So, I mean, there there are some similarities, you know, some small comparisons to be made. But, I mean, you know, if you're a Dark Souls player who's, like, heard that this game is like Dark Souls, it's not really. It, it's not. Um, but, uh, 
Yeah, that's a that's a good segue into the equipment system, I think. So this game has got 14 different weapon types. Um, you've got some of your standards, like you've got uh, a sword and board, you've got a great sword, um, you've got, uh, what are they called? Palm and a half sword? So it's like a long sword, but there's no you shield with it. you have born out of wedlock sword? <laughs> It's like a it's it's like a katana. Think like a a, a die katana, like a really long katana, um, but not like a claymore sized sword. Although the great swords are, I mean, this game is very anime. So a great sword is like three times larger than your character and would weigh you know a thousand pounds in the real world and be completely unusable. But because anime, right? So mm-hmm. uh, um, basically, Final Fantasy Seven, the yeah. Buster Sword. Yeah, there's yeah. Actually, that's really a really good comparison. Um, then there's uh, some some ranged weapons like a bow and arrow. There's a, a crossbow. Um, it's called a bow gun, but it's basically a crossbow. And then there's a large well, bow not gun, wrong. which is kind of like a cannon, like a, a hand can. Well, like a eh, like a mini gun, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. A weird anime mini gun. Um, but then you've got some some odd stuff. So there's a couple of different axes that transform so there's an axe that transforms into a great sword <clears throat> but it's like a smaller great sword so it swings a little bit faster and is slightly less powerful but the whole fighting style for that weapon is comboing axe moves into sword moves and then back into axe moves um <clears throat> excuse me then there's like well i guess two-handed daggers is a pretty common like action game thing but and there's also uh, an axe and shield, and the shield can be put onto the axe to make it into, like, a great axe that's, like, twice as powerful, but only half as fast. Um, there's a bow staff that you can use, but that has, like, a lot of aerial play. So uh, one of the things that, it, it, that the game encourages you to do with that is to, like, pole vault yourself into the air and then do massive anime combo attacks while you're midair <laughs> um there's a the support weapon is uh bagpipes so that's fun <laughs> what does it make the uh monster bleed from its ears it's it's designed to debuff monsters and buff allies and then it's got like some attacks that now are here really you weak. thought it would debuff everybody <laughs> i i'm, I'm uh, especially a, uh, especially a low level bagpipe player <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um now, now whenever you put on the bagpipe, does it come with the kill or is that added armor? Oh, that's added armor. There is there is some armor though that looks like kilts that would work for that look. Now um, uh, also d- is it plaid? Because it has to be plaid. Uh you can make it plaid, yeah. But uh I'm trying to think of the, of the other weird weapons. I haven't used all of them, but I've used a lot of them. Uh, just to test them out. And they are ex- vastly different. Ex- like, completely different playstyle from weapon to weapon. Even the weapons that are similar, like um, Greatsword versus Longsword, completely different playstyle. Um, all three of the ranged weapons, the Longbow and then the two bow guns, three completely different playstyles. Um sword and sword and board versus like you know two two daggers complete like it's vastly different play styles 
Um, and it's a very simple combat system to learn. It's one of those easy to, to learn, difficult to master type systems. Mm-hmm. And the whole system is, is broken down between, uh, at least on the Xbox controller, B and Y. And one is one type of attack and the other is another type of attack. And then some of them can be comboed with A, which is like a dodge roll or right trigger, which can be a block for certain weapons, but right trigger, right trigger is sort of like the special or the alternate ability for the weapons, <clears throat> except for the bows or the ranged weapons. And then right trigger is just the trigger to shoot. But it's amazing how many different combo combat systems they've been able to seamlessly put onto those three buttons, three, three or four buttons. Um, and it's never confusing either. Um, and it, all of the weapons, like you start with the base level or the base version of all of these weapons. So once the game opens up after the first, I don't know, 30 minutes, cause this is a, a Japanese action RPG. So you've got 30 minutes of intro cutscenes and dialogue before you oh, actually no, get to do anything. Oh no, that seems rather short for a Japanese, uh, RPG. People say it's like an hour, but it, it only took me about 30 minutes to get through it all. But, well, maybe uh, it's because you turned on the Japanese uh, voice acting. Maybe so. But, you know, you can go in and you can practice with all these weapons. You can try them all out um, before you go out into the field. And then everything is just upgrades. Like, there's two base we- base versions of each weapon. One that you start with that's like a, a steel weapon, and then one that you can craft or, or purchase that's a bone weapon. And then you just build them up over time as you go out and hunt monsters and bring back their body parts and, you know attach them to your weapons to somehow make it completely different and stronger because anime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same goes for the armor. All of the armor uh, is crafted based on the animal parts that you procure and, and combine uh, because anime. And they all have, you know, different stats and you can upgrade them. You just like get experience that you can use to upgrade your armor whenever you wear it out into the field uh, to complete missions. And there's like armor because set bonuses. Anime? Yeah, because anime, there's armor set bonuses and stuff, but really, you can just pick what you like and the way it looks, and then as far as I can tell, there's no, I mean, there's got to be some limit at some point, but I've got one piece of armor that I really like that's level 20, because I just keep leveling it up, because I don't like the look of any of the new armor, and it has competitive, or comparative stats to other armors, you just keep leveling them up, so the game really allows you to just go with whatever you want and customize it to your heart's content. And there's a, a whole nother deep crafting system that I haven't gotten to in this game that involves, but I, I have in others that involves like traps and bombs and that you use to lure in the more, the larger and more dangerous animals to hunt, which is really where, I mean, this game is extremely enjoyable. If you've never played this type of game before, the first few hours as you're learning the ropes, the creatures that you're fighting are, are pretty simple. But once you start hunting the higher level monsters like the, the dragons or the, the elder beasts or the, the kraken type monsters or whatever, like the really crazy high level monsters, even when you're working together as a team, they can be extremely difficult to take down and you have to strategize uh, the phases and how you're going to fight them. And you can set up traps and areas that they're likely to go through set up poisons. This game allows you to sort of ambush creatures so you can climb on to things and then jump down on top of them and uh, attack. You know, you can essentially like rodeo them 
and attack weak points like on their back or the neck or stab their eyes out depending on like what the creature is and where you're able to land and how long you can stay on because they're obviously trying to to get you off of them and uh you collect um like you you track the animals before you attack them and collect like uh research information and signs and data about them so that they're easier for you to hunt like you if you just go after one, like you can randomly stumble upon them and you can fight them. But eventually, if you're winning, they'll try and retreat. And if you haven't actually done any tracking of them before, they'll run away and you won't be able to figure out where they're going. But if you have done tracking, like there's levels of tracking and mm-hmm. you have these little, uh, what are they? They're like firefly type creatures that, I don't know, behave sort of like hound dogs or whatever. And they will track down creatures based on the amount of data you've collected on them. And so, like, if you've got a creature 100%ed, when it runs away, you can just follow the fireflies exactly to where the monster is. But if you've got, you know, only one or two levels, they might sort of point you in the general direction of where the monster went, and you'll have to track it down uh, a little more naturally, but at least with some help. So, uh, that's fun. And also, what's fun is if you're in combat with one monster, and a bigger, scarier monster shows up, and then you're like, well... Fuck this shit, I'm out. Because one of the early game monsters is like a giant lizard, uh, or think like a giant Komodo dragon. Um, And halfway through the first fight I was having with it, this basically T-Rex type monster showed up, and they were like, oh, fuck, run away. Uh, They didn't say say fuck, but she was like, oh my gosh, it's a whatever monster. Godzilla! I can't can't remember its name. She's like my, my handler. She's like, oh my god. You need to run away. You can't fight that. And I'm like, ah, this is part of the mission. This isn't some random thing that just happened. I'm going to stay in the fight. And it ate me. It just was like, Argh! and it grabbed me. It did like the whole shake thing like the T-Rex does in Jurassic Park. And it's like, you uh, like fa- you're a lawyer. It's like you fainted. And I'm like, I definitely didn't faint. I just got eaten. But okay, that's uh, uh, that's what the game's going to do. No, 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 no. Uh, the T-Rex ate your hole and you passed out. And your palico was having to pick through the droppings to try to find you. Yeah. The Palicos are great. They're, in addition to this game only, like, they've, I mean, they've been in previous games as, like, the people that help out around the town and stuff like that, but they've never actually went out into the field with you. And, I mean, they're nowhere near as good as having another person to fight uh, the monsters, but what they will do is they'll provide a distraction. And they're Um, adorable. They are adorable. Mine's lime green. Mr. Smithers is lime green. Because he matches my hair because I'm an anime chick with uh, bright green hair and pigtails and pink eyes. Because, of uh, course. In other words, uh, you do additional damage to the, the monster's visual sense. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And fashion sense. Yep. Uh, now I'm just imagining a, a monster going, oh, God, you're wearing that out in the field? That's it. Just kill me. Kill me now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyways, the Palicos, they do minimal combat damage. Uh, but what they're really good for, the two things they're really good for is providing a distraction. Because you can sort of run away. And it's you can't order them around, but they seem to have a fairly intelligent AI. It's like, if I start running away, he's going to jump in there and try and take grab the monster's attention and pull him away. Because if I'm running, that means I either need to sharpen my weapon, heal, or I just need to leg it out of there because I'm about to get eaten. <laughs> so Now I'm just imagining anime chick with a uh, whetstone going, oh, 
God, the sword dulled again. Why did I buy the cheap one? <laughs> it looks, it looks really silly. It really does, especially because my primary weapon is the great sword. So the animation doesn't quite match up because it's like I'm sharpening this thing, and it's like you're like halfway up the blade, and you're not even sharpening. Oh, the whole good thing. enough. <laughs> it's like ah, oh, good enough. It's my my sharpness level is green again, so I'll be doing maximum damage. <laughs> but. uh Yes, yeah, so the palco will distract. The other thing that they're good for is that every once in a while they'll they'll toss you a heal, um, so they can they can save your life occasionally. But I mean, there's no revive or anything. Like if you go down, it takes you back to the camp, the nearest camp, and like a group of palicos wheel you up on on like a a, a cart and just <laughs> dump you on the ground unceremoniously. Now, like, now the question is, do you have stink lines coming off of you from where they pulled you out of? No, you don't. You do not. Uh, missed uh, but opportunity. That would be funny. It would be funny. But yeah, so those are the Palicos. They also, you can completely customize their equipment, and they can get their own set of extremely cute armor and weapons. Uh, well, multiple sets, not just one set. Uh, I kind of like the look of the starting Palico equipment, but you cannot upgrade the Palico equipment like you can yours. So in order for them to get better stats, you have to craft them better equipment. But the starting equipment that I picked for my Palico looks kind of like, um, they've got like little aviator goggles and like a fur lined leather coat and some kind of like boomerang weapon. But now he's got like uh, a sword and some armor because I actually crafted him some stuff out of ores and metal because it had the best stats. But I'm trying to think if there's anything that I've, I've missed. And discussing this, it's, I mean, it's a really fun, really good game. That I this one would definitely be, be be better with friends. It's designed to be an you know an MMO of sorts, and a lot more of the systems are geared towards uh, having people to play with than in the previous games. But all the previous games have had some sort of online or you know if you go back far enough, LAN play where you can team up and go on hunts with your friends. But this one is geared completely towards it. Like, you're always in a party. And I, I've been going private matches because I don't want to play with random assholes. <laughs> I just voice chat off and private games all the way so that nobody can join me. But I wouldn't, I would like to have some friends to play with because there's definitely some enjoyment to be had in teaming up to hunt down some of the more difficult creatures. Well, um, if I was confident my computer would run and I would be a lot more tempted. But yeah. seeing some people complaining about, uh, you know, how weighty it is on its system resources, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty tough. I've got it on my uh, my SSD, my my external SSD, um, which I have now. Uh, that's an, a story for another time, I guess, dear listener. You but Rage knows the story of how I put that thing together. So not as good as my internal SSD, but way faster than the the drive I use for most of my games because it's just a, a hard disk. Um, so I don't have any of the loading or pop-in issues that people have mentioned on the reviews because I'm playing it straight off of an SSD, which is good. Like, I would expect it to not have any of those issues. Um, and you've got the GPU for it because you've actually got a better GPU than I do, and I'm not having any problems on the GPU side. Yeah, it's just the CPU. But this, your CPU, yeah, might might struggle um i got it there was a launch discount i got this game for 40 bucks or 40 40 something dollars it was less than 45 but more than 40 
just like a sort of weird number with the taxes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is well worth, you know, 40, 45 bucks. Um, as long as you understand, like this game has a lot of double A qualities to it. Like the part where it matters, the gameplay mechanics and how gorgeous the worlds are and the creatures, like that's where all of the effort went into it. Um, I can't speak to any server issues. I haven't had any, and I've been playing since launch. I mean, I bought it. Yeah, but you're also playing single player, so essentially. Well, I mean, I, it's still always online. I'm just having private matches. Although, if the issue with connectivity is people are getting dropped from games with their friends, then yeah, that's mm-hmm. something I'm not having to deal with. Um, but I mean, the game does have a lot of you know B movie double A quality to it in terms of like the cutscene animations and the voice acting and you know some other weird things like that but it's got it where it counts and if you're into this this type of game um you know third person action rpgs or you've played a monster hunter game before and are wondering if this is worth it now that there's one on pc yes definitely honestly i would have paid 60 bucks for it and i think for 60 bucks you know i i would have been i would be saying the same things but if you somehow run up on like a sale or a discount or something, definitely worth it. And I'm going to keep playing it. I haven't played it for as much as I intended to. Like I said earlier, weird weekend. Didn't need, needed a lot more time to just decompress. And Monster Hunter, I am not to the point where I can listen to podcasts and play it at the same time. Although it is a game where that could, could happen. Especially um, if you're farming monsters. Yeah, especially if you're just farming um, but right now I'm I'm not doing that. So I played a lot of spin tires this weekend uh, while listening to podcasts. But Monster Hunter World, good game, good game, B plus game for me. I think um maybe even up to an A minus because I kind of like the B movie stuff. You know, I kind of like the silliness of it. But you like the schlocky stuff. I do like the schlocky stuff. But if you don't like that stuff, it's still a solid B plus game from gameplay perspective or, or from a gameplay standpoint and from a, a, a graphics standpoint. So those things good recommend from me. What about you? What games have you been playing, buddy? Oh, uh, well, I got two for this week. Uh, one I just played today. Titan souls. This was on the Twitch prom sometime in the last month or two. And, okay. uh, well, I've, brought up that you know there's this uh correlation with dark souls and everything and that was mentioned a couple times for this even though i would not say dark souls for this i would say shadow the colossus in both the good and the bad way (laughs) for those who've never encountered this game which honestly don't blame me on that one it's kind of a niche game it's uh, published by devolver digital though so you know that kind of gives you an idea of where we're going with this to begin with Right. Uh, it is essentially a boss rush game where you're, there, there's not a lot of story, at least in the very beginning. That's where I'm drawing a lot more of the connection with Shadow of the Colossus than I am ever with Dark Souls, where, you know, you wake up and you're on this mysterious mission where you're slaughtering random bosses, and whenever you kill one, everything goes all glowy for a bit. Sound familiar for uh, Shadow of the Colossus? Indeed, exactly. it, it does sound familiar. Uh, Grand, there's no dead chick, so but you know, I only got a little bit into the game. So the big 
difference between this and Shadow of the Colossus is just how quickly the fights are over, in both the positive and negative fashions. You, one hit point. Bosses, usually two to three. And they're all of the Shadow of the Colossus a variety of a very, very large compared to you. You're just this little tiny guy. Uh, th- this is a 2D uh, boss rush game sim. Uh, but very tiny, but also weak points. And that's really the only way you're able to do damage to them. I was able to kill the first set of bosses. And then the game started to annoy me. Probably my biggest complaint about this game isn't the fact that it's one hit kill or, you know, the bosses are, the fights are over very quickly, both, you know, the bosses may slaughter you immediately or, you know, the you may kill the boss very quickly. It's the downtime in between attempts. Uh, I know you never played uh, Super Meat, or I don't think you played Super Meat Boy. Right? Um, I have played Super Meat Boy, but I don't like Super Meat Boy. Uh, well, I'm going to draw the connection to Cuphead. All right. Okay. I like uh, Cuphead. Uh, now, now, I realize Cuphead isn't exactly a, a correlation Shh. here. Yes? Just keep going. I accidentally launched Monster Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've bored you that much. Uh, but, uh, no, fire up my, uh, no, farm bot, so, uh, yeah, yeah. We match. We're playing games. Right. Oh no, I closed it. I opened the task manager and closed uh, it. But, okay. The thing with Cuphead, even though it's not quite a correlation because you do have room to screw up and the fights go a lot longer, Yeah. whenever you fail, how long does it take to start again? Super Meat Boy? Like, almost immediately. You just press another button, yeah. right? And it starts the level over. Yeah. And Cuphead pretty much the same way. Yeah. You know, it's a begin, and you know, this has, depending on what boss you're fighting, uh, somewhere between a 10 and I would say upwards of a 30 second recycle to get to the uh, boss again. And with the fights, you know, a couple of the fights, uh, you know, if you don't do the exact right move, the boss will fucking murder you immediately. And it started to get a little old when okay lose walk back two or three screens particularly on the last boss i was attempting which was this mushroom thing that was spinning all sorts of uh, projectiles and you would have to line up your shot which uh, the guy in this game is an archer once again kind of drawing the correlation between this and shadow of the colossus where uh, at least in some of the fights your main weapon was a bow and arrow. And this, you have one shot. Alright? Okay. And then you're able to recall your arrow. But, while you're doing that, you are standing still and are vulnerable. So, you know, another kind of strike against it where a lot of the fights are very mobility-based. So, if you miss that shot, or it's a boss that requires multiple hits, like, matter of fact, the very first boss that you encounter, assuming that you go into the first door that's available, is this giant slime that's jumping around and uh, slowly trying to crush you. 
well, every time you shoot it, it splits. And eventually you just have to shoot enough times. This is actually one of the bosses that has the most health, or health, and sarcasm quotes, uh, to expose its brain, and then you shoot its brain and you kill it. Well, every time you shoot it, you have to uh, roll away, run away, and then recall your arrow uh, back to you to be able to shoot again. And also, while you're trying to shoot, you're also doing this charge-up move. It's a very, very jank system on top of what should be a more, well, I shouldn't say should be, on top of what is a more mobility-focused game. Particularly with some of the later boss fights and some of the ones I've seen just uh, on you know, the Twitch uh, desktop app where they show you know some screenshots of the game and some of them just look fucking brutal with some of the projectiles. It's just a very, very odd design choice on top of the long reset time. And I realized, you know, 10 to 15, or 10 to 15 seconds for the first set. Then the second set of monsters is upwards of 30 seconds because it goes through this puzzle sequence where you have to figure out the ways to go on different screens. For example, to get to the boss you would have to go uh, you go into the forest then you have to go like uh go east one screen go south one screen go west one screen go north one screen then you go north again and then you enter a cave uh, that's not the exact sequence but it gives you an idea and all of those have screen transitions on top of starting the fight it was just such an ir- irritating thing right right and I should say that I've enjoyed Boss Rush games in the past. I mean, I've enjoyed Cuphead. I enjoyed Super Meat Boy, even though I realize that's not exactly the same thing. They are difficult games, but they have a very quick reset timer. And if you're going to do a one-hit kill, you pretty much have to have a quick reset. Even if they want to do you know, some sort of checkpoint system for more reasons... Which, yeah, the game hints that there's uh, some sort of story going on. As a matter of fact, whenever you encounter the uh, each boss, it has the name of the boss and some sort of foreign language that you haven't deciphered yet. So, you know, they have that you know, hint of a bigger world going on. But, yeah, they just... It feels like they missed the mark. I'm glad I got it through Twitch Prime, you know, to be able to try it out without paying for it. Which I realize technically I am paying for it, but I'm viewing Twitch Prime as kind of added bonus for everything else. So yeah, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of that weird situation. It's not it's not like how I view Xbox uh, Gold uh, games and uh, PlayStation uh, Live games, where you're paying for that subscription directly. This is more of an added benefit for me, and I have to say Twitch Prime has been beating the ever living hell out of Humble Monthly for the last few months. For a while, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad I was able to try. So you know, it does have that, and maybe it's one of those games that you know, uh, it feels more like it's designed around uh, streaming, especially with that downtime in between attempts. Even though uh, it's just hard to resolve one hit uh, kills and you know, very short boss battles in, in general with such a long reset and. Uh, just the way they have the weapon system. Yeah. Doesn't 
sound maybe, like maybe it's just maybe it's just not my cup of tea. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it'd be my cup of tea either. The one hit kills thing would make it interesting, I think. But everything else you've described about this game is making me be like, eh, eh. So. And it doesn't seem like they have any upgrade systems uh, in place uh, in the game. At least I got through the first set, no upgrades on my character. And I started working on the second set of bosses, which was actually, the first set was four bosses. Each of them kind of highlighting a different aspect of uh, combat, which is a good pseudo-tutorial. You had uh, Slime Guy, which was focused more on how the arrow damages both when it's shot, but also being recalled. So you are able to damage both ways, which is interesting. And the second boss actually uh, made use of that. It was this uh, brain frozen on a block of ice. And the way you had to defeat it, it was actually really interesting. And I do have to say that the boss design is actually pretty damn good. Uh, the second boss uh, it has this sort of like forge in the middle or this you know, flame that will shoot up whenever it's a button is pressed. But the button is only uh, able to be pressed by the boss. It's the only thing heavy enough to, to press the button. So you have to throw your arrow onto the flame uh, and then lure the boss onto one of the buttons to set your arrow on fire and then recall it and hit the boss with the recall. Which is a really, really deep trick, you know? Yeah. And then it it exposes the weak point, then you're able to just kill it outright. I mean, once you get out of the block of ice, it's pretty simple. Uh, The third boss is a more mobility-based fight. It's this giant block with an eyeball on it that will try to crush you and then occasionally shoots uh, a laser beam uh, out of the eye. And the eye is also the weak point. So it's more focused on a, just a very quick, uh, decisive blow. And then the last boss is this giant golem, which is, once again, it's more focused on, uh, it's a combination of movement and, uh, quick attacks. Uh, it has a weak spot on its chest, but it only attacks with one hand. It's like this torso, uh, uh up uh, with two, just floating uh, hands around and it tries to just crush you with its hand while the other hand uh, is covering its chest. You know, imagine that, you know, it's a girl that's dropped her uh, talent. She's trying to cover herself, you know, modesty, right? Yeah. Uh, and then occasionally you'll tr- switch hands and it gives you a window of opportunity to shoot it in the chest. So uh, it's, uh, it's very good on slowly introducing the mechanics. It's just, infuriating because especially like the golem even the golem the last boss in the first set that was a good 15 second reset on each one and i was uh, yeah, already starting to see oh we're gonna have trouble with this yeah i only put it about an hour in the game that's probably about the all i'm ever gonna put into it but yeah, it was worth that well i guess that's uh that's good to hear it's better than nothing <laughs> I guess it could have been worse. It could have been worse. Yeah, I could have paid for the damn thing. Yep. It could have been worse than that, too. Okay, so... You could have paid for it, and it could have been, like, a horribly bad monstrosity. 
Okay, so uh, speaking of horribly bad monstrosities, actually, I have nothing for that. So let's go to Gladiobots instead. Okay, <laughs> go for it. Gladiobots. Uh, this actually, I d- didn't get this on Steam. I got it through my press account elsewhere. So I was playing a slightly older version. I didn't have the Steam Early Access version. But I really like this game, for the most part. This is a puzzle programming slash gladiatorial combat slash sports game. Okay. Where you're developing essentially an AI for up to four bots, uh, sometimes more depending on the game mode you're in, because there's both a ranked uh, uh, section uh, for multiplayer, an unranked section, which has just a, a bigger assortment of different scenarios, essentially. And then there is a, 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 a campaign, which is essentially just a puzzle mode. I would say the real meat and potatoes for this is the AI development and the multiplayer, which is asynchronous, by the way, so you don't have to worry about connecting to other people. Uh, every time you play online, you're essentially leaving a ghost of your team that other people are able to matchmake against. So they solved the issue of a community for this game pretty much immediately, which is nice. Yeah, and it has crossplay between this and its mobile version. And that's kind of the more galling thing about it. Not the fact that it has crossplay, but this has a PC text that you wouldn't believe. This is 15 bucks on Steam, well, $13.49 on the release sale. And it has a DLC that is also. Uh, unlocks a bunch of cosmetic stuff for 10 bucks. On mobile, it's a free game. And as far as I could tell, just on my random poking around, it's exactly the same. <laughs> nice. I'm going to say nice. I mean... <sighs> Which, since this is free on uh, mobile... You can kind of guess where the modernization came into this, right? Uh, I'm sure the mobile version is loaded with ads. Actually, no. Or microtransactions. What the mobile version's monetization is, is the cosmetics. You buy in for points. Uh, cosmetic unlock points. From, you know. uh, and each cosmetic thing for all the bots is a certain amount of points. Uh, and they're essentially just paint jobs, at least for now. Well, they're fucking expensive. Alright? I put about four or five hours in this game, and that's mostly playing on the multiplayer, actually. Just playing the different uh, uh, ranked and unranked modes. And I got enough points to unlock two colors. Uh, out of, I want to say, ten or fifteen. On one section of the bot. Each of the bots has four different colorable sections. And each color is independently unlocked. So it is a huge fucking grind if you want to have your bots be anything except black or gray or white. (laughs) Or have more than one color on your bots. You can have it in any color as long as it's black. Thank you, Henry Ford. <laughs> yeah, I think I would take that approach to that. Yeah, it's just, it's rather galling that there's no 
incentive to buy it on PC unless you want to throw in another 10 bucks, which at that point you're looking at a $25 puzzle uh, uh, programming game. It's just, it, it, it irritated me. Yeah. But outside of that, outside of the monetization and the PC tax, it's actually a pretty solid little title. Uh, each of the bots has their own, you, you, could, you would have to actually go to the Steam store to really get a good idea of this. Essentially a programming tree. And it's all based on uh, uh, simple commands with modifiers on them. So you're able to build out a tree to essentially have a hierarchy of commands that the bots follow. So, for example, uh, the first command on pretty much all my bots is if the bot's shield drops below a certain percentage, it starts to back away from enemies. Now, all the commands are followed from left to right and then in a descending order. So you're able to do a lot with the different commands. There's commands for uh, targeting specific classes of bots. There's commands for uh, going after the resources, which is, is essentially capture the flag. And each of the bots, well, I should have said, has a shield and also a pure HP pool. Shields recharge, HP does not. And there's no healer class, at least yet. So you're able to kind of customize what you want to do and also try to devise different strategies. Like, for example, my sniper, which is one of the unique classes, which thankfully isn't an unlock. You're able to have one of each of the specializations, and there's three specialization classes in the general assault class. My sniper, for example, for the first uh, three minutes of the game, will just try to uh, shoot whoever has the lowest shield to try to do health damage. There's no uh, shield gaining on this, so if the shield doesn't take the full hit, it goes directly to the health. But, in the last two minutes of the game, it starts to hunt down for anyone that starts picking up resource caches to try to you know, prevent the enemy from scoring more points to win. Okay. And this is just a very simple uh, AI. Some of the example AIs just on the Steam store page is just obscene. <laughs> and I'm not sure just how complex the actual competitors are because you don't really see what they're doing. You're uh, able to see their current command, but that's it. You don't see their actual AI, which is a little uh, troublesome to try to figure out exactly how to uh, alter your AI. This is more of a game for a tinkerer. Sit down, build an AI, throw it out online, see how it reacts. Oh, it's doing this and I didn't expect it to, or it's encountering this particular behavior that can't uh, respond to. Go back to the drawing board, tinker around with it some more, change your t uh, team composition some, send it back out, mess with it some more. So maybe the grind on the customization isn't so bad, but yo, know, it's still a little galling whenever, you know, I got about three or four thousand, uh, unlock points uh, in four hours of gameplay. Some of the random uh, uh, color schemes that you just, you know, are able to pick up uh, uh, or have the uh, game give you is, uh, you know, uh, an idea of, uh, you know, how you customize your bot. 
is in the twenty to twenty-seven thousand range. Thankfully, so, uh, a lot it, of grinding. Yeah, yeah, a lot of grinding. You've already said that, but yeah, you just uh, emphasize wondering... that point. Yeah, and something else that kind of, uh, uh, well, ground my gears <laughs> is uh, the randomness of the arenas. Some of the arenas are very, very favorable to certain strategies. For example, uh, some arenas may have all the resources uh, be close to uh, your own sod, uh, split between the two teams. So it really favors a team that uh, goes after resources and tries to ignore the enemy team as long as possible, while others uh, require the two teams to essentially pass one another to score uh, points. And there's no real telling of what arena you're going to end up in until the match has already been uh, set up. And once the match is going, you cannot change it or you cannot change your AI. So that's a little galling. I do understand why they do that to try to shake things up so there's not a set meta. But just some of the arrangements you could see on the Steam Store page, some of them are vastly different. And short of having a lot of modifiers in your AI to make it look like you know, just a explosive spaghetti factory, it's very tough to have a more general AI. You're going to have situations where, oh, well, the game screwed me because I didn't do this particular uh, strategy because the, the arena uh, screwed me. Which was a little galling, but not so much. I do wish that there was a little bit more standardization on the maps, but not to the degree that Rocket League is gone. Right. But overall, you know, I do like the game. It's just, it's tough to recommend whenever you could just pick up the mobile version. Which is I mean, what I just did. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you would enjoy the mobile version. I think I will too. I like stuff like this. And it has crossplay and it carries over the progression. Because I decided to poke around with the mobile version after trying out the press version or my, uh, my press version. It yeah. was able to download both my progress in the uh, campaign, all the AIs I created, and everything. And something that's also kind of neat is that the AI hierarchy, you're also able to drag in the other uh, AIs that you've built. So if you have a large subroutine, you could have it just be dropped in wholesale and not have to try to rebuild it every single time. So one of the very simple uh, routines I have is the scorer AI, which for some bots, it, you know, it do does it immediately. For others, if there's no available targets, it'll go for and that sort of thing, which is just a very simple, you know, uh, like three command thing. But it saves me from having to build it every single time or forgetting to do it and losing a match because of it, which I actually did one time. <laughs> I, I do nice. wish that there was a little bit more cleanup tools in the AI, uh, be able to color code things, having notations, uh, be able to rotate things around so you're able to use the entire play field or the entire grid, I should say, because everything is essentially a tree right now where uh, the essentially the... AI master name at the top and then it just looks from left to right at each command but I would have liked to seen it instead 
have it be a clock where it's able to use the entire area and be able to essentially cordon off different command structures to different quadrants of the clock face. But that's more of a uh, organizational thing. I think the big thing would be, you know, color coding and uh, proper notation, which is kind of uh, not quite necessarily because you could do the subroutines, but some of them, you know, if you don't use them for everything, it starts to, or if you don't constantly use the uh, same AI uh, subroutines, it starts to mess up and clutter your overall AI list, which makes quickly editing your bots and swapping out their master AIs a little bit more cumbersome. But overall, yeah, it's a fun title. It's just a hell of a grind. And I will say that, yeah, I don't think that there, at least right now, is uh, a strong meta, you know, you know, if you do this, you win so much of the time. Because I was toying around online, and I saw some very, very diverse uh, team compositions. I saw some that were built around just four assault classes, the basic classes, and have essentially one trying to run distraction while the other three scored. I saw some that... Uh, relied on a shotgunner to try to flank and uh, get a couple easy kills, which the shotgunner uh, at short range, as you may imagine, is just devastating. I saw some that were similar to mine that uh, tried to essentially just pick off uh, weak targets by focus fire. So I do think that there's a lot of flexibility here. And it is very impressive just how powerful the AI creation tool is already. And the fact that the roadmap is talking about adding more commands and being able to refine it a bit more uh, shows that there is a lot of promise here. It's just if they can continue it because, you know, it is early access and that's always, you know, a giant red flag for uh, especially a new developer. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds good enough that I downloaded the mobile version. <laughs> so I'm willing to give that yeah, a shot. Yeah, and as far as I could tell, at least based on uh, the alpha version that I had access to, which the one on uh, Steam Early Access is a beta version that's just one ahead of it, but I was able to tell that much of a difference between the change log. I wasn't able to really pick up any major changes, but yeah. You know, I have uh, hit uh, mobile uh, games in the past that didn't have ads and then later on added them. So, you know, it's tough to say that, you know, by the time you listen to this, there won't be ads. Yeah. Or I may have just missed them because I just poked around to take a look at the editor and, you know, just uh, my progress in the mobile version. I didn't get too deep into it because I was, you know, the YouTube channel is kind of a PC focused channel. So I was kind of focusing on the PC version there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, like you do. Like, like we do. Alrighty. Well, that would be the games that we played this week. We uh, managed to stretch three games into an hour. <laughs> Mostly about me bitching about the uh, ground wall. I don't know. I talked about Monster Hunter for 20 or 25 minutes. So, you know, we did it together. It was a team effort. Yay, we um, did it. Now we're going to go talk about another industry team up. Huh? <laughs> Unless you need uh, to take a quick break. Uh, a double team. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm okay. Uh, do you need to go? No, I'm good for now. Alrighty. 
companies are once again attacking consumer rights. We've got a double team from Nintendo and Bethesda doing bad things. Uh, we'll just say as a, a general uh, industry again. split roast. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you said you want to start with Nintendo, and that works for the flow of our future news topics. So yeah, let's go ahead and dive into the to what the Nintendo is doing. Yeah, I don't know why I said it that way? The Nintendo, uh, like an old man, all of a sudden. Kids <laughs> uh, these days with their Nintendos. Now turn off the Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Genesis. It's not even made by Nintendo. Uh, but yeah, the. PC World article, which we'll get to why that is on PC World. Nintendo's ridiculous war on ROMs threatens gaming history. And this is tied into also uh, Emu Paradise uh, shutting down, or not shutting down completely, but pulling their ROM catalog. And it essentially just comes back to Nintendo being Nintendo. And Nintendo not being as family friendly, or I should say consumer friendly. As their reputation would have. Oh, It's just... It's a very irritating thing to me. Particularly because I have the history with these older console titles. Because I'm old. Yeah. Where emulation is viewed as piracy. Which technically it is. It definitely is for a Nintendo product because Nintendo is constantly reselling the same couple dozen games, it seems. But at the same time, it's preservation of gaming history. There's no easy way to play some of these old Nintendo games, these old Super Nintendo games. Hell, even coming up to you know, the PlayStation and PlayStation 2 era where you know emulation is... Uh, it's still pretty solid for the most part. It's just right where the PlayStation 3 jumps in. You're still getting a little shaky stuff. There's no easy way to play some of these games. And even getting the physical versions is damn near impossible for some of them. And that's assuming, of course, that it was a game that was popular enough to you know, have people remember it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've played plenty of these titles too, though. <laughs> I mean, there are, are many more that I have not played just because, well, I'm I'm younger. Damn kid. <laughs> but I mean, I did I did grow up playing a lot of. I mean, we had a Super Nintendo, we had an original NES, so I played a lot of these games as a kid alongside my N64 and my PS1. Uh, I never really played very many Sega games. We were a, a Nintendo household. Instead of a Sega one, but I've also played my fair share of emulated titles as well. Particularly, like I've emulated a lot of the Donkey Kong games uh, from the SNES era, several of the older Mario games just to play them. Uh, I emulated and played through. Ah, um, oh, damn it, Castlevania, the original Castlevania, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So. There's, and then, yeah, it's it's easier. It's difficult. I mean, it's not impossible, but the farther out we get from that time frame, the more difficult it is to obtain these games any other way. Some of, some of them will have been released as bundles. Some of them are available on the Nintendo eShop. 
Um, yeah, but some of them are fucking expensive, even on the eShop, for what they, they are. are. They are. And that's uh, most not, of them are... And that's not even including, you know, whenever Nintendo bundles some of these, but like I said, it's the same few every time. What if you wanted a more niche title? What if you wanted to, you know, go back to some of the more jank titles? Or what if you had an experience with, you know, this one oddball title that you, you know, uh, just don't see anywhere. No, you're kind of shit out of luck then. Yeah, aside from tracking down a potentially extremely rare and extremely expensive uh, original copy, emulation is your best bet to be able to play that game again. And this applies to more modern titles as well. Um, yeah, a lot of games, uh, games from the as PS2. A service is, well, I was going to say games as a service is also going to cause a problem with just uh, gaming history and gaming preservation in the uh, general future. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of games, too, though, from, like, the PS2 era, PS1, PS2 era. So more more modern, still older, but more modern titles that are prohibitively expensive to buy an original copy of. Like, for example, uh, a game I've talked about on the show multiple times in the past, Naval Ops and Naval Ops Commander. Um, it's true, you could buy a, a PS2. There's plenty of those lying around. Or play it on your PS3, for example. Uh, I'm not sure if they're backwards compatible on the PS4. But... You know, you could you could do that, but finding an original copy of the game, used or new, is difficult. And even if you find one, they're prohibitively expensive. The last time I bought an actual disc copy of Naval Ops Commander was like 10 years ago. And that game came out in the early 2000s, something like 2003, 2004. And I, I purchased a copy of it in 2007 or 2008, and it was like 60 bucks to get a used copy Without a case or anything, it was just a disc. I could imagine they're more expensive than that now. I'm gonna I'm gonna peruse eBay for a moment. Oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm. Uh, I mean, hell, just going to some of the. Uh, King's Quest Five. What the? Uh, this has a Super Nintendo, but it shows a NES <laughs> cartridge. Uh, and that's where you start to see some of the, uh, you know, uh, annoying stuff where, you know, it's kind of iffy to begin with. Yeah. Uh, but if you happen to enjoy, uh, oh, well, uh, I mean, uh, the obvious one would be, uh, Earthbound, where, you know, just the cartridge itself could go for, well, let's see, uh, $95. Uh, here's a buy it now, uh, Earthbound game cart for 250, 78, 102. I mean, granted, it is a niche title. I realize Earthbound is very popular now, but it didn't sell well back in the day, so there's not many cartridges for it. But, you know, if you hit one of those oddball titles that, you know, didn't sell well back then, and you just, you know, happened to be one of the few, well, oh, you are so screwed without emulation. Yeah. Which, technically, I mean, let's get into the legal issues here, where the emulator itself, the actual program, is legal. And you can actually think, I believe it was Sony for that, uh, because of Bleem. Do you recall Bleem? I do not recall Bleem. 
Oh, uh, Bleem was a commercially available PlayStation 1 emulator that Sony tried to get uh, removed from uh, store shelves and actually they ended up damaging the you know, uh, the company enough that they went bankrupt eventually if memory serves correctly where uh, this was not long after the original PlayStation uh, was released they focused on uh, particular titles to be able to uh, emulate and it actually worked fairly well so this set the legal precedent for the emulators themselves. Where the legal gray area is, is depending on the uh, emulator, either the ROM itself or the ROM and the BIOS. Because uh, the pretty much once you get past uh, the uh, Nintendo 64 era into the 32-bit area and beyond, uh, you need a BIOS to be able to boot the system. And it's not built into the emulator, and yeah, you know, that is a piracy there. And plus, you know, any ROMs that you're not ripping yourself, which yeah, of course we all own cartridge rippers and are ripping original Nintendo cartridges, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and that's where Emu Paradise uh, uh, had some issues where they were feeling threatened. I don't think they got a direct takedown notice, but they were getting pressure from Nintendo. And they finally caved after 18 years of service. So, it's very sad to see them go, but at the same time, you know, it, this is essentially Nintendo trying to fight the tide coming in. Piracy is going to always be there. Yeah. And they are making themselves look like dicks. <laughs> Again. Yeah. But this is also... Boy, this is going to come off uh, sounding extremely racist, but this is also a Japanese company that is very insular. You know, they don't understand the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, we've had discussions about things similar to this with Nintendo and other Japanese companies multiple times. And to some extent, I mean, I don't necessarily blame them for trying to look out for the best, in, what they think is the best interest of their yeah, company. But, yeah, but, but at the I same think... time, Nintendo puts a very, very hefty price tag on their past games. And only, the, you know, the certain ones, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know if I have anything else I want to add to this bit. I mean, it's Nintendo being Nintendo, and sometimes they're the worst. Sometimes yeah. they're lovely and wonderful and wacky and weird. And other times they just suck. <laughs> and are also wacky and weird. And sometimes it's both at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think uh, Games as a Service is also going to hit a very big problem with uh, game preservation in the future. I mean, we've already seen the the issue with MMOs, and that's what the big thing about emulation is. I mean, it's not just consoles; it's the old uh, computer systems as well. Be able to emulate them properly, because you're not going to be running the original Oregon Trail on your Windows 10 <laughs> computer. <laughs> no, you're not. There's compatibility compatible compatibility issues, and even worse, trying to pronounce that word. Uh, all over the place on PC. So emulation is very important there as well, but it's not as 
battered on PC because it's not a walled garden directly. You know, pretty much anybody who's able to develop anything. So at worst, you'll get occasionally on a company coming up, but you know, this is, you know, in some cases, 30 year old titles are being emulated. And a lot of these companies on the PC side of things are just gone. Maybe that's where, you know, Nintendo and uh, to some extent Sega uh, ha- are in a unique uh, situation where they both are that old. In Nintendo's case, you know, that's hardly scratching the surface for them. But also, uh, they have the right still. Because, you know, some of, the, uh, the, some of these games were just one-offs. Or, you know, uh, they've lost the rights to the uh, title a, a long time ago, so it's in a legal limbo. And that also causes problems for being able to re-release the damn things. Because, you know, nobody knows who the, holds the rights, or, you know, the rights holders may be holding out, or they don't even want to bother. So, you know, if uh, you, know, you enjoyed a, a game that the developers no longer have the rights to publish, well... You're out of luck. Too damn bad. But it's a good thing that you're able to just buy a used version of the game and not have to worry about this emulation problem. Oh, wait. <laughs> well, buying the game's not the problem. Selling it's the problem, according to Bethesda. Well, uh, to be fair, to buy it, you have to have a seller. That's true. That's true. But if you're the one who's buying it, you're, at least for now, not the one who's on the hook for the legal ramifications. Uh, Bethesda threatened uh, a, a seller, a, a game seller, a person who wanted to sell their game. With yeah, that lawsuit. typically is what a game seller is, a person who wants to sell a game. It just reads weird, because the person <laughs> was just a dude, like me yeah. or you, selling uh, his copy of Evil Within 2. Is that the yeah. right game? Honestly, it doesn't matter, really. Yeah, it's selling it uh, on the Amazon Marketplace as uh, uh, as new because it was uh, still wrapped, I believe was the problem. And this is a uh, this is such a weird thing in uh, general. Not just because, uh, you know, this guy is getting smacked around for selling a closed copy, but also that this isn't Bethesda directly. This is a law firm working on behalf of Bethesda. So this may not even be Bethesda directly. This may be just lawyers being lawyers. And I haven't yeah. seen anything uh, confirming or denying that uh, uh, on the very beginning of it. Yeah. Yeah, same. I haven't seen anything. And I've seen a couple of things discussing this, but I haven't seen anything confirm or deny whether or not specifically Bethesda was like, yeah, we're going to do this. Or if this is just one of those instances where, like you said, lawyers are being lawyers. But essentially what they're doing is they're using some specific sort of legal wording to say that this person is um, selling the game illegally because he's misrepresenting it. Because he's saying it's new because it is, because it's completely wrapped in, you know, it's wrapped in the plastic, hasn't been opened, seal's not broken. But because he can't actually like offer or honor a warranty on it because he's not an official Bethesda seller then it's misrepresentative of it because that would mean that it's not new uh, because not being able to offer a warranty means that it's different from its original uh, first sale or original state. Uh, state. Mm-hmm. And they're 
threatened him, told him to take it down. They threatened him with a lot, several legal actions and said he would be on the hook for like court fees and lawyer fees and all that stuff. Essentially scare tactics, legal scare tactics. Yeah. And I, and the dude was basically like, I just didn't want to deal with it. And so I took it down just because I didn't want to deal with the problem. I don't know if he tried to resell it as used or like new, which is different than new. Yeah, but the I'm problem, sure, uh, but... Grin, I don't have firsthand knowledge with the Evil Within 2 or the PlayStation 4 in general, but typically, at least with modern games, you don't want to ha- have them listed as used because they may have digital codes. Right, right. And uh, hell, some games are, at least on the PC side of things, which I've realized is a different thing, may just be, you know, the Steam <laughs> installer and it gives you a Steam key. We've had that okay, several times. Uh, uh, one of the latest Call of Duties it had a cardboard <laughs> CD in it with the CD key printed on it. Yeah. So... Yeah, being able to say it's new it gives you the impression that it is, well, factory sealed. Yeah. And uh, just the scary language on this. Unless you remove all Bethesda products uh, from your storefront, stop selling any and all Bethesda products immediately and identify all sources of Bethesda products you are selling. We intend to file a lawsuit against you. You know, very friendly, huh? Oh, yeah, just the nicest people. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel bad for this guy because, yeah, I guess he just he got the game somehow and just didn't want it. Maybe he just bought it and yeah, read a review or something. Or maybe he just bought it cheap from uh, somebody and uh, wanted to resell it. Yeah, make a few bucks. It's just yeah. kind of it's kind of insane that they're patrolling Amazon like this. That makes me think that, you know, it may be per- uh, something personal against this guy. You know, somebody sucked, uh, uh, you know, sent a lawyer against him. You know, he pissed somebody off. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it just feels like there's something else going on behind the scenes here that we don't know because, you know, it's, you know, lawyers being lawyers. Yeah. I mean, maybe, possibly. It doesn't surprise me that they're, you know, patrolling or trolling through Amazon or whatever or eBay and are making these threats against people like that doesn't surprise me. Companies do shit like that all the time anymore. The internet has made that much easier for them mm-hmm. uh, than it, it would have ever been before. Uh, I, on the article, the one guy that commented is like, yeah, I wish he wouldn't have backed down because they would have set a nice legal precedent whenever they wipe the floor with Bethesda. But well, the problem maybe is- like maybe the dude I mean, I fully believe the dude is in the right, but Bethesda is going to be able to afford better lawyers than he could. And that's the thing. Like, it doesn't matter what's right or wrong lots of times. It comes down to who can afford the better legal team. And it makes you feel kind of bad about the legal system, doesn't it, whenever you think about it? Kind of bad is an understatement. (laughs) But yeah, whenever it's just some dude versus any company... Probably 90% of the time, 95% of the time, some dude is going to lose because the the company's got a way better legal team. Um, and they're able to afford just to drag it out as well. Yeah. I can't recall the actual term for it, but you know, just uh, 
kill a legal case because you know they drag it out and, uh, and retry and retry and try and, try and uh, just drain the opponent's uh, resources, and that's c- completely legal. <laughs> yep, being a scumbag is legal in the United States as long as you've got the lawyers and can afford it, and also helps you get ahead in politics. <laughs> yeah. That's probably true anywhere you go, but it's, like, extra true in the United States where things are just terrible. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's taking a turn I don't want to go down. (laughs) Uh, At least tonight, right? You don't have enough caffeine in you. I don't have enough caffeine. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough time. Do you want some? Yes, please. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, Pretty much these two uh, topics just went so well together, you know, like peanut butter and jelly. It's kind of funny, you know, well, uh, just buy the games. Oh, wait, you can't buy them because, you know, the the third party seller that's selling their used copy or light new copy or whatever is also getting sued (laughs) on the same week, you know? Yeah. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Damned for just existing. Uh, but uh, it, they do raise the first sale doctrine as well. Be able to uh, legally resell your uh, uh, your items that you buy. But, you know, Bethesda was just ignoring that. Yeah. Yeah, because dude bought it. It's his property. He owns it. And it's not like it's a, a license like he bought a physical product that he can resell that product can't hear you suing uh, it's just uh, should we move on uh, to something at least somewhat better <laughs> because yeah. it's just this is a very sad topic overall it feels like the gaming industry just wants to forget their history which I realize with games as a service and uh, the yearly releases on certain titles that, you know, they want you to only have, you know, the latest and greatest. Yeah, you know, they don't want you to go back to the, uh, they don't want the nostalgia, at least for the most part, unless they're selling the nostalgia themselves. <laughs> uh, I saw, a, uh, you know, just the one of the meme comics going around, you know, the dog uh, holding the thing. And it was listed at uh, Nintendo Retro Games. Uh, remember? And the guy tries to grab it. Uh, no play. Just remember. <laughs> that feels about right. Oh. All right. But yeah, we can move on uh, to another news article involving Bethesda. Bethesda says situation could be, quote, fairly dire if Sony disallows the Elder Scrolls Legends crossplay. Yeah, now so, now swinging back on the positive side for Bethesda, them trying to play hardball with Sony. Yeah, so Bethesda wants there to be cross-play between the PlayStation platform and the other platforms that uh, Elder Scrolls Legends is on, which in case you don't know or don't remember, is the Elder Scrolls uh, CCG, uh, which is pretty fun. Pretty fun. Um, Never got around to trying, and I, just, I think I'm burned down on CCGs. Yeah, it's got some different aspects from, you know, Hearthstone. Uh, it's got lanes that you play down in, so there's a little more strategy involved of where do you put stuff. You know, you have to defend two sides. Um, it, it feels a little bit more like Magic, honestly, than, than Hearthstone. 
Um, they have interrupts and things like that, which don't exist in Hearthstone. In Hearthstone, so it's a lot more strategic as opposed to just being, you know, random. It's a lot harder to draw one card and be like, "Oh, I win. Sweet. This is it. I win." Yeah, um, which uh, Hearthstone seems to constantly be introducing new "I win" cards. Yeah, yeah, that they have one in the latest expansion that. If you essentially, if you play it very last and you have nothing else on the board and you know, nothing in your hand or deck, you win. Yeah, I haven't played Hearthstone in I think two years. I think about the same. I just I was playing just the tavern brawls and they started doing the tavern brawls where you had to construct the decks and I didn't have the cards. And because I was only playing the tavern brawls, I only had the classic set essentially. Yeah, and so I did, Elder... and I'm and I was a little too attached to my kidney to be able to catch up. Yeah, El- Elder Scrolls Legends basically needs this crossplay to be able to survive. Um, it's on Steam. It's on Bethesda's own game launcher. It's on mobile devices. Yeah, which I would it's... say is probably where it has the most life. But for on Steam, for example, there's a all time peak of eight thousand seven hundred eighty one players. So it's got a, a probably a, a fairly small community. I would say overall, all platforms combined, my best guess would be a couple hundred thousand um, total, which sounds like a ton, but obviously they're not all playing at the same time, if it's even that high. I mean, the 24-hour uh, peak to, is 1,800. I mean, that's not bad, especially if you know, with crossplay. Right, but without the crossplay... Some of these communities, particularly, I would say, the console market for these games, uh, the Xbox version. I don't know if it's going to be on uh, Switch at any point in time. Uh, I but... believe it is, actually. Oh, is it? Okay. But, you know, without crossplay, those platforms in particular would wind up probably pretty isolated with a much smaller community. And uh, PlayStation, being the largest console player, or the, the largest... Uh, the most selling console of this generation would have a probably a pretty decent audience to potentially contribute to that. But again, they could still wind up completely isolated on that platform. So I'm, I'm glad that Bethesda is trying to play uh hardball on this one. I think it's interesting that they chose elder scrolls legends to sort of draw a line in the sand as opposed to fallout 76. But uh, I, would I think say I understand thought, I think I understand why they want to do uh, uh, Elder Scrolls Legends over uh, Fallout 76 is that, you know, they're able to try to open up to all the other platforms and not just, you know, the other consoles. It makes it a lot more impactful. Because if you try to do cross-play between PlayStation 4 and PC with Fallout 76, well, that's stupid. Yeah. It's a first-person well, shooter. On top of that, uh, I would say that the market for um, Fallout 76 is going to have a lot more players, a lot larger player base than Elder Scrolls Legends does or will have at any point in the future. So crossplay would be less necessary because the population playing the game would be a lot higher on the platform. So you run into that issue less about isolation and the small aggravating player base mm-hmm. and they pretty much say but for legends it's absolutely absolutely critical uh, both uh, crossplay which uh, 
is how uh, Legends works right now with every other device. You're playing against somebody who could be on any device and more importantly, cross-platform uh, progression, which means no matter what you do on any platform, you load up the game. And so long as you're logged in, here's your progression and here's everything that you've had, including everything you were doing. So it, they view it as a lot more important for the cross-play in this than, it, than Fallout 76. And it does keep the matchmaking a lot more fluid because that's just player numbers, raw player numbers is uh, what really fuels matchmaking. I mean, yeah. you could have the best matchmaker in the world, but if you only have a few dozen players, <laughs> it's not going to work. Yeah. Definitely would not work. Now, the question is, if Sony sticks to their guns, which... Honestly, I don't expect them to change you know, just for Bethesda or you know, just for a card game. Do you think they would cancel the PlayStation 4 version? Yes, I think they would. And I think they should. Because this is... Actually, now that I think about it, it's a, a really clever move. So crossplay is much more important to... A card um, game than it is the, uh, than Fallout 76. Right, but it's a small enough title that it would not be a big loss for them to not put it on on the PlayStation platform. So I think that they actually, on second thought, are drawing the line in the sand at, at the perfect place. Mm -hmm. They know exactly where they needed to uh, put pressure. And yeah. I'm, I'm just looking at the PlayStation, or not the PlayStation, but the uh, Steam charts for uh, Elder Scrolls The Legend. And yeah, their player numbers have uh, dwindled quite a bit over the last few months. So yeah, this is also free publicity form on the other platforms if they have to uh, pull the PlayStation uh, version. Yeah, I mean it's it's win win win, yeah win 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 all the way around. Winners all around situation. except for Sony. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I, th I think that solves it. Actually, yeah. I think we did a a good job. High five us. Woo. Did you just half high yourself? Yeah, I did. Right next to the mic, so it makes a funny sound. Oh, don't worry. Your mic always picks up funny sounds. It does indeed. It does indeed. Something else that's a little funny, but in a good way, I think. Discord is opening its own digital game store. Hey, another game store. <laughs> indeed. Although, I'm yeah, going to this... jump to my favorite part about this is that Discord intends for it to act as a sort of aggregate so that you can launch all of your games from Discord. Um, well, well, that's already in place. With Discord? Oh, I didn't know that. I know that they've have, have added not... like, the games view or whatever, but I didn't realize you could launch games from that. Because most of my games are on Steam, and Steam is one of the few things that actually starts up on my PC startup. So I'm just always on Steam. Yeah, have you not noticed? Uh... Oh, hey, the quick launcher. <laughs> I seriously, like, never check this page. Ever. I just zoom right on past it, because I don't give a fuck about what other people are playing. Learn something new every day. All right. Well, we can just move on past this. <laughs> uh, not so fast, because what they're actually doing is expanding the quick launcher to be a storefront 
mostly focusing on indie and smaller and older AAA titles, it seems. And trying... Uh, the, there, there's two very, very interesting aspects of this. One is that they're trying to entice indie developers by helping with funding for a short exclusivity deal. They said usually about 90 days, so three months, which you know, isn't exactly the longest <laughs> out there. Yes, it does kind of suck uh, to have titles tied up in Discord, but at the same time, you know, it's, you know, still a bit more friendly than other title or other uh, deals I've seen. Uh, looking yeah. at you, Microsoft. But probably the most interesting aspect of this is how they're tying, tw uh, I keep wanting to say Twitch because, yeah, I I'm drawing the correlation here because Twitch has their stores well and doing essentially the same thing where the Discord Nitro will get essentially a Netflix of video games where you're able to pick from a selection of older and uh, older AAA titles and uh, indie games uh, to be able to play at your leisure, which is interesting and adds a lot more value to Discord Nitro because there hasn't exactly been a lot outside of just you know, funding Discord. And this does answer, you know, how are they going to pay for this? Because Discord hasn't exactly had a very clear monetization scheme, has it? No. Uh, they've always, you know, there's been a lot of people going, oh, they're just going to sell your uh, data, which, to be fair, they may be anyway. But, you know, whenever there's this you know, service that you never know how they're paying for it, it always feels a little iffy, so... The fact that they're opening up a shop, yeah, feels like a natural progression, especially where they focus on gamers in general anyway. Yeah, Discord has kind of been exploding just in general in the last year or two. Um, well, they say they've up, got and... over 150 million users, which is a huge base to take to any company or investor market and be like, look at what we have. Give us money and we can do something with it. And the fact that they're taking it to a storefront, at least first, actually makes me feel a little bit hopeful, honestly, because it's not like I don't feel like they've gone, okay, we've got this huge user base for you to advertise to. Here you go. Let's fuck up the whole service and fill it with ads and bullshit and try and make our money that way. Like they're taking this huge audience and they're going to try and convert some of it to sales. And I prefer that to having my, my Discord server clouded with advertising. Yeah, and considering that, yo, know, this isn't technically another launcher to have another account with because we kind of already have that. <laughs> yeah. Because we're already using it. It feels a lot more natural. It's uh, kind of this weird situation where it doesn't feel as off because, you know, it's another storefront. Granted, this yeah. is, this is going to be another storefront. So, you know, if I get games to it or you know, get a, some sort of giveaway or something. Yeah, it, um, it's going to be another place for games that I forget about until I really think about it. Well, looking at UGOG because I constantly forget, oh yeah, I got games over there. Oh crap. Uh, it's, it does feel very natural though. And I think this, you know, could be solving the problem of Discord's uh, monetization. The mystery of it, I should say. Because they said that, what was it? Only 
or less than 10% have a Discord Nitro? Uh, I don't remember what the number was, actually. But um, if it's 10% and they're not lying about 150 million users, that's 15 million people paying five bucks a month yeah. for Nitro. Or or 50 bucks a year if you pay for it all up front. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. Uh, yeah, I'm not finding any info really on uh, uh, on uh, Discord Nitro. But the fact that, you know, they're adding the value to it. I mean, it worked for Twitch Prime. Uh, a lot of people uh, looked at Twitch Prime and uh, uh, picked it up just for the free and, you know, sarcasm quotes, their games. Which I realized, you know, I talked about, you know, <laughs> Twitch Prime games earlier uh, on the games I play. But that's not quite the same because I'm coming from Amazon Prime and not using Twitch Prime directly. But yeah, a very interesting situation with this. And I think it really uh, depends on, one, uh, you know, who they're able to sign up. But also, are, are they going to curate this uh, as much as they should? Because Steam has been having a very big problem with just muddying the waters and having asset flips, having games coming in, uh, scamming and stealing, uh, putting in viruses, not working at all. So if they're able to offer what, Steam used to be, and it feels odd saying, well, what we need is a completely curated uh, service because, you know, that's what people uh, rallied against, myself included, Steam, to, at least to, to some degree, but, you know, there's a difference between wanting a more open service and having the doors completely open for everything, you know? Yeah. So, if Discord is able to have quality games uh, to properly advertise them because it used to be you know you own steam and you don't really have to advertise nearly as much well now good luck even getting noticed then this will be a huge boon for uh the indie scene but also depends on you know what they get and you know also the pricing and uh, sales of course and everything else and this is still going to have the 30 percent uh tax essentially for the uh, for the platform so they are borrowing that model from Steam directly. It is kind of funny, though, how we're getting essentially two completely different services kind of crossing paths because Steam has recently redid their uh, friends list and their chat to be more Discord-like. And now we're getting Discord to be more Steam-like. Yeah. Yeah, I... I'm okay with that, though. I'm okay with that. Steam needs competition in whatever form it can come in. If yeah, Steam's ever going to get any better, it's going to have to have some of that market lead knocked off. Yeah, and honestly, Origin's not doing it. Uh, Uplay is definitely not doing it. I, I would have thought uh, GOG would have been a bigger contender, but uh, you know, they're definitely a contender, but not nearly as big as Discord would be. Because yeah. you know, they have the pre-set uh, installed base, uh, install base, and just because it's so easy to set up a server to be able to chat, it's yeah, you know, uh, that's part of the reason why they exploded, and part of the reason why uh, TeamSpeak and Mumble have kind of fallen by the wayside. They're yes, they are a niche product and are used in certain situations, but 
they're not as easy to use as Discord ever was. Yeah. Plus, not for free, at least, anyways. Yeah, yeah true. Uh, uh, TeamSpeak, if you were able to set up the server on a, a local PC, you were able to do it, but, you know, it was iffy at best. Yeah. But, yeah, the, a very interesting situation. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with this. And, hey, if it allows Discord to continue to stay open, I, I don't mind it too much as long as they don't start advertising heavily on our server yeah now if craig starts uh spelling out hey buy this game then fuck you craig craig i for one support our future robot overlords so you're not you're a nice bot craig should we explain what craig is <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in case you don't know, we've swapped from using Skype to record the podcast with a uh, a Skype recorder because of issues with Skype, uh, most well, notably well, Sky- for you. Well, Skype absolutely pissed me off when I was forced to upgrade to version 8 because they discontinued support for all the older versions. And, oh, it's absolute shit. Yeah. So Craig is, or we're using Discord to record the podcast now, and Craig is a bot that records our conversations, and I can download them to edit in case I need them for backups. Which honestly, I download the backups a, anyways. Which honestly, it's a better service because you know it's off uh, off site. Yeah, and it's also you know on uh, individual tracks. It is, which helps, because Skype comes in one track, and I have to split it. Uh, basically, using the Skype recorder, you're on the left channel, and I'm on the right channel in a stereo track, and I have to split the tracks. Yeah, and this is a hell of a lot better quality. So, you know, my uh, issues with Skype actually turned out to be positive in general. Indeed. Indeed. But we um, are completely off topic, and we're talking yes, we inside are. baseball. Yes, we are. So, does that cover it for Discord? I think so. It's a, it's an interesting thing. I think the biggest thing is them funding the indies and also, you know, putting more value on uh, Discord Nitro because they didn't really have to do that. Yeah. I think it would have probably annoyed people if they didn't offer something, but the fact that they're being that generous, at least based on the articles that we have, is very very uh, positive, and I think they've took uh, some uh, some of the best uh, parts of uh, Twitch Prom. They took uh, looks at what uh, Steam has done wrong in the past, uh, well, couple of years, which is quite a lot actually, <laughs> and are trying to avoid the trappings of UPlay and uh, Origin. So yeah, it's a very very interesting uh, situation for this. So, yeah. something else that's very interesting? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. EA creates, quote, moral compass, end quote, to prevent Battlefront 2-esque disasters <laughs> in the future. <laughs> oh, this is mostly just a point and laugh topic that they have to have a moral compass created so they aren't absolute dickbags. And yes, take back is a technical term in this case. 
Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, we'll we'll see if it actually does anything. I don't believe anything that they say. So I'm in my head. I'm just thinking, okay, well, this is a PR stunt. Oh, it won't actually change anything. Yeah, because if they make the moral compass committee or whatever it is, you know, it has to you know have some influence on the company and uh, having a moral compass. Well, one thing it does, it bites into your profits because you're not trying to screw people over. You know, if you don't have any morals and you just, you know, steal and be an absolute jerk to people. Yes, it doesn't make you fans, but also makes you a shitload of money because you don't have any scruples about doing certain things. You know, having a moral compass would keep you from uh, tying your entire progression system to loot boxes and then selling said loot boxes. You know? Yeah. So this moral compass is going to cut into their profits. And there's this thing with the games industry, particularly with the triple A's, where they have to have all the money ever. Yeah, we can't just have some of the money or lots of the money or even most of the money. We have to have all of the money. (laughs) Oh, but yeah, moral compass. (laughs) I, I just find it so hilarious that the Battlefront 2 Fallout is still ongoing with EA all this time. That they're trying to avoid this whenever it's just still, you know, you know, don't be jerks. How hard is that, right? Yeah. But the I sad mean, it's part not that is hard, that, I don't think, for yeah, normal people. Yeah, but the sad part is that Battlefront 2. Yes, it didn't sell nearly as well as it should have, according to their projections, but it still sold a lot of copies, and it sold a lot of copies to the uninformed public. You know, the the people that aren't listening to this, which, boy, that makes it sound like we're, uh, you know, uh, think a lot higher of ourselves than what we actually do. But, you know, the people that don't sit and listen to gaming... uh, news that don't uh, sit and discuss it like film buffs do movies that just are the equivalent of somebody that goes out to the movies and picks something that you know looks good on uh, uh, on the posters or may have seen a trailer and uh, on a previous movie and went to see that instead you know they don't yeah. uh, sit and read the reviews they don't uh, see what the critics are saying they just do things and, you know, that's where Battlefront 2 got all their sales. And the other part of that is that we're building a gaming generation that's used to microtransactions, that's used to loot boxes through mobile, that's used to paying for skins, you know, five, ten bucks per skin. That I really, really do not look forward to the future of AAA gaming as a whole. Without, you know, some... Uh, how about that? A moral compass. <laughs> well, let's see if it actually points them in the direction of, of morality. Oh, shit. It's just spinning in circles. <laughs> it's broken. Wah, wah. Alrighty. Well, 
let's move on over to our community corner. Hey, we actually have one this week. We do. So we didn't, we don't have any emails or anything like that. We do have a topic submitted to us by uh, our, one of our dear listeners, Jim3535, also known uh, lovingly by me as Jimmy Jam. Now, what flavor jam is he? Um, Strawberry. Definitely strawberry. Uh, see, I was going to uh, go with uh, a non-jam, uh, mostly because Katie got me to get uh, lemon curd. Yo, and he's like that. Yo, a bit sour, but also has a sweet aftertaste. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And he uh, goes good he with said... cream cheese. He does. He does. <laughs> Boy, we're never going to hear from Jim again, are we? <laughs> oh, I'll talk to him. Well, I guess I'll talk to him tomorrow night before, because tomorrow night's Star Wars RPG night, and Jim is in my group. So I'll talk to him before this goes live. Lemon curd, salty but sweet. No, no, sour but with a sweet aftertaste. Sa- sour but sweet, especially that aftertaste. <laughs> Alrighty, so Jim sent us an article: How VR's next generation shows key signs of a maturing market. This was a pretty long one, so people who like to go through the show notes uh, buckle up for a long read. But it's it's really interesting. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> you know, yawning uh, during I got, that. No, I like I like burped, but then went to cough, and then like it just like my 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 body just locked up for a second, like it didn't know what to do. Well, at least it you was didn't so explode. blown away by this VR article. Uh, but no, I found it pretty interesting, just as someone who has experienced some VR related stuff. Um. Basically, what the article boils down to is it's discussing um, the unification in terms of standard um, and controller layout. Uh, Because in the way that it works is that there's, you know, you've got several major VR headsets or VR um, devices, VR capable devices. VR monitors. You're in the PC space or the mobile space. Uh, and every game has to be designed to work with every different one of them, which typically that means that a game or an experience or whatever will target one headset as the primary uh, and devote most of their resources to developing for that one uh, and then develop later for the other ones. And you get the big ones like uh, Oculus and Vive um, tend to be developed for both of them, although not always. And then you might see some of the more mobile-based VR stuff being put in a, being targeted next. And there's a few like standalone headsets that exist now that might also be targeted, but they all are different. Uh, so what people are working on is essentially an API. It's not exactly an API, but that's the quickest shorthand that I can could come up with for it. And I'm just gonna keep calling it that, even though I know it's wrong. <laughs> but uh, essentially an API for it so that you're just designing for the API and uh, then the headset manufacturers themselves can program how their devices interact with it so that it's easier to program. Essentially a driver. Yeah, essentially a driver. Um, that way development is easier. And uh, it seems that the, the push for this is, is starting to gain some traction 
now that there's been a couple of years of hardcore modern development for VR uh, headsets and devices. The other major point uh, where that they're trying to bring things together is to standardize a control layout because there are many different types of controllers um, for each VR device. Uh, and the HTC Vive and the Oculus both have completely different layouts for their, their controllers. So essentially they want the Xbox controller for VR you know, whatever that standardized layout is going to be. And then... Uh, borrowing my term. Sort of, yeah. I liked your term better. <laughs> I didn't really have a term for it. But in my head, I was going to make that comparison, I think. Anyways, like, it just it just makes the most sense. But yeah, get a, a sort of standardized or pseudo-standardized layout with only a couple of tiny differences to deal with instead of being, you know, multiple different sets. Because you've got sort of... Um, or if you want to borrow another term, uh, essentially what Nintendo did, because look at consoles before the Nintendo Entertainment System. You had some wildly different console designs. Great, you still had some outliers like the Jaguar later, or Jaguar, depending if you're Steve Jobs or not. Jaguar? Uh, but following the Nintendo Entertainment System, it really focused down to some sort of D-pad or some sort of analog and just a handful of buttons instead of all the buttons. And there yeah. was a lot of inspiration following that to keep it fairly simple. Granted, the Nintendo then broke their own mold with the, with the N64, but still. And then broke it again with the GameCube. And then again with the Wii, by throwing uh, waggle controls into it. Yep. And then with the Wii U, by adding a tablet. Okay, so maybe Nintendo wasn't a good example after all. <laughs> the tablet works, though. It's basically an Xbox 360 controller with a screen in the middle of it. And they now have the Pro Controller, which is just a copy of the Xbox 360 controller, except with the Nintendo buttons. Um the Nintendo style buttons. So they standardized the industry, but then abandoned their own standard to be <laughs> Nintendo. Basically. All right, let's just go back to the uh, Xbox 360 of uh, controllers. Yeah. Works, works better. Makes more <laughs> sense. But, but I, those... I do, but I do think uh, looking at the early in, uh, console industry and comparing it to how VR is now, it does have an interesting parallel where, you know, everybody was trying something different, trying to figure out what works best. So there is that parallel there. It's just, you know, it's not quite uh, apples to apples here. You know, it's apples to like pears. You know, it's not quite an apple, but it's close enough that if you're hungry for an apple, a pear will do. Yeah. But I don't like pears, so. I'm also not a big fan of pears. I can I can eat one, but they're not my. I wouldn't be happy about it. It's nowhere close to my favorite. I'm very picky um, when it comes to my fruit. Now bananas, I'll eat bananas. Some nanners. Yeah, speaking of which, I didn't get any last time I was at the store. That that was an oversight. 
But then again, they were in the middle of restocking all the produce. So, yeah, it was busy there. But we're completely off topic. <laughs> As usual. Um. So, yeah, I mean, that's the gist of it. I really enjoyed the read. It's a little bit a little bit on the dry side because it's it's you know. more technical focused. Right. I, I I read the first page and a half and then started skimming because, you know, I was running low on time and I needed to get the info for the other stuff as well. But it is a very interesting time for the VR market. I think what really is going to push VR, though, is when it gets the killer app. It does have the experiences. It does have uh, the added benefit for some games. But it, I don't think it still has it had its killer app that it's platform exclusive. It, it, would VR be considered its own platform? Uh, it, or, or maybe it's just not. Uh, yeah, it hasn't had it for me yet. And that's the big thing. Because you do have things like Subnautica. You have the added benefit for uh, uh, stuff like your truck, which I know uh, Jim likes uh, uh, an American truck. But for VR only experiences, yeah, it's you know still the experience uh, area for the most part. But you get that real chicken and egg problem where to build a larger game, it requires a lot more money. But you're likely not going to sell that many because there's not that much of an install base. I think really what we're going to see. All right. Uh, the first yeah, game game, you know, the first full blown triple A VR game. Is it going to be from a game developer? It's going to be an in-house thing, either by you know, Oculus or uh, HTC, you know, and it's going to be a loss leader, much like how first party games are for consoles. Yeah. I could get behind that. Because think about it, your first party titles for consoles are typically the ones that push the console uh, to the max because they're able to be that loss leader because they're paid for not just through sales, but also through the licensing of other games for that platform. So they could lose a bit of money, but still end up as a net positive because they brought people to that platform. I think VR is going to have to do the same thing overall because there's just, the install base is getting there. It is improving. I'm not about to say VR is dead. I mean, this isn't the nineties when, uh, you know, VR was just a, you know, a headache machine. Now it's a vomit machine. <laughs> uh, Progress. Uh, Small okay, steps. Okay, uh, not that's not completely fair, but yo, know, it's the the technology is there. It's powerful enough now. It's just the main things is the software and also the cables, which the cables are being worked on. Uh, yeah, there, uh, was... I have I have seen uh, some uh, uh, wireless uh, headsets being worked on, and, all, and there's always the you know the turtle backpack <laughs> PCs, which. Uh, are also hilarious. Was it Alienware that was doing it at uh, the PC gaming show two years ago? That uh, showed the, the backpacks. Yeah, yeah, the VR backpack uh, PC that talked about uh, you know hours of gameplay. Yeah. 
Uh, I, honestly, I can't remember if it was Alienware or not. Uh, it was an Alienware-esque uh, uh, case, yeah. Uh, but they were showing off uh, this backpack that had the battery, uh, two batteries uh, running in parallel. Uh, so you're able to essentially hot swap the batteries to sw- uh, to keep going. Yeah. Well, which is you know, pretty much the way you have to do it. Because battery technology you know, for a VR-capable uh, PC is going to be very heavy, it's going to be very expensive, and it's going to run very hot. <laughs> which is yeah, another technical shortfall. Yeah, but that's... Not it's necessarily fixable. something indicative of VR. Yeah. The the battery intensive and running hot. Yeah. Anything that's that's drawing any amount of power from a battery is going to make it hot and not last long. And I'm not necessarily just like saying that to come to the defense of VR, but yeah, it's more just, of a techno- technological uh, hurdle for just mobile gaming, which essentially VR in that space is a mobile platform. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do think that VR is catching on. I do think that it has its place. I just think it's going to be up to you know who takes the first loss leader. I haven't actually looked to see what the install base are uh, uh, install base is for the various headsets uh, lately. Uh, it's uh, install base. I I just wonder who is the industry leader at this point because you know everybody thinks Oculus, but. Uh, let's see. Uh, data point of the week, according to an article from March 26th of this year, a VR install base expected to reach for, uh, 67 million by 2021. But then, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, then it slows down. Uh, another article dated June 11th, uh, shows, uh, 55 million VR headsets in the U. Oh, oh, sorry. The the other one, I guess, was worldwide. Uh, but 55 million headsets in the U.S. by 2022. Uh, so, yeah, the install base would be there. Uh, I'm just trying to find uh, yeah, uh, who, uh, who has the biggest slice of the pie. Looks like PlayStation VR, actually. That does make six sense, honestly, because um, they got the PSVR running on much, you know. Uh, running well, on a, well, it looks like it's a, really a toss-up between PSVR and Valve, with uh, Rift uh, coming in uh, v- very close as well. Yeah, but yeah, the PlayStation VR is pretty much the entry level right now. Uh, once you get past, you know, stuff uh, like the phone stuff, uh, phone-based uh, VR. Yeah. So that makes sense. And they're also projecting that the average price is going to go way, way, way down. Uh, from uh, an average of almost 400 to by 2021, an, uh, an estimated average price of just over 200, which that's the other sticking point is, you know, just how expensive they are. I mean, that would be the price of, a, of a, an expensive monitor, but a good monitor. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh I I want to get a VR headset for my PC. I'm waiting for sort of Gen 2 to come out uh and see how that does and then 
either buy in at the at the newer generation with improvements or if it's not like super improved over previous generation buy an older used headset um that someone's trading up to the the new gen yeah just toes it off yeah oh yeah spray it down with a lot of (laughs) a lot of disinfectant but um all right then let it dry and then spray it some more yeah but I'm, i'm wanting to get into it and Maybe maybe next year. I don't know. We'll see if something comes out by the end of the year. I've talked about wanting to get a Switch this year. But uh, I would pick a VR headset first if there's a, a new generation of headsets that releases by the end of the year. So, I mean, we'll just have to see. But I want to I want to be in that install base on the PC okay, side. Okay, here, here's something else that's interesting. Is that, uh, according to this other article, projected... Uh, they're actually looking at video uh, outstripping uh, gaming, which is something that we don't really uh, consider, or at least I didn't consider, is uh, VR uh, uh, video porn. I mean, let's be perfectly honest there. And also just uh, applications, you know, virtual desktops, virtual uh, uh, theaters uh, for video, essentially. I mean, I've said before, that's what I use it uh, my, uh, my Gear VR for the most is watching Netflix and things like that because you get the feel of a massive home theater setup with just a little thing on your face. <laughs> Plus the, the, the gear VR has got some tracking issues for playing games and stuff like that, that you don't have to worry about when you're watching, just watching Netflix or whatever. So that's another reason that I prefer or that I use it primi- primarily for that when I do use it. Um, but it's, it's much more of a novelty now. <laughs> As opposed to something that I'm I'm using often, which I was when I first got it and, you know, got it out of the box and started using it. Admit it. Porn, right? Um, not that great for porn, honestly. I don't know if the porn that I've watched with it has just not been right, like the right quality. <laughs> but no, VR porn is, for the most part, has not been great. It's weird, too. It's weird. It's like that's not my penis. <laughs> I'm not this. I'm not this fit. Uh, there's just something uh, <laughs> a lot funnier than that, than that should have been. Uh, maybe the yeah. transplant was a success. You know. Woo. <laughs> um. So yeah. Thanks for the article, Jimmy Jam. Did we have any tweets or anything? Nope. Sweet. So, that means that we can slide on over to our community, or not community corner, slide on over to our Well, first of all, we need to do uh, uh, email is vglpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us vglpodcast. Uh, Trying to get that in before you move on on me again. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, I was going to say, you know, after we do the thing and then i was gonna let you do the thing which you just did so uh, you did the thing now let's doobly do for a yeah. quick discovery queue yeah you do the thing uh, and first thing i get is a game that's not even in english that's not Excellent. useful what in the hell is this i'm quickly looking to ah okay okay now that makes sense why that this game looks familiar Okay, uh, I got one almost immediately off the bat. 
Unavowed. This is a point-and-click adventure uh, by Wedget Eye Games. And the reason why this was looking familiar, because I, you know, I was sitting here, and it's like, that art style looks familiar. This is by the same company that did the Blackwell series. And you know, it definitely shows in just the general art style and you know, how they're building the game. Uh, a demon has possessed you and has used your body to tear a swath of bloodshed through New York. You know, like you do. Pretty much a Saturday night. You're now free, but life as you knew it is over. Your only path forward is joining an un uh, the Unavowed, an ancient society dedicated to stopping evil, no matter what the cost. A uh, $15 uh, point-and-click adventure. Uh, based on my experience with the Blackwell games... Hopefully they've sprung for the pop filter for uh, some of their louder voice actors. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's had a very uh, good uh, overall writing for the Blackwell series, which is an old, one of their older or older series now. So uh, I think this is definitely worth checking out, especially, you know, if the premise is interesting to you. And I imagine that stalled long enough for you to get uh, a game. Oh, yeah, I've had one for a, a couple of minutes now. <laughs> Factory Town. Build, expand, automate, and optimize your own fantasy village in the wilderness using marble run chutes, railways, running water, magic currents, and conveyor belts. I mean, I'm sold on this, obviously. Well, I was sold on this uh, before because I'm uh, familiar of the developer. Uh, what has he... <laughs> Or she, or they developed. Uh, he has made Robot Roller Derby Disco Dodgeball. Oh, okay, excellent. I didn't realize that he was the dev of that game, which is a fun game. Okay. Uh, honestly, I was a little bit worried about the look of this game. Like it just says. Well, oh, I've been following his tweets on this, and it is absolutely fascinating seeing this game in motion. Uh, it's essentially a mixture of RimWorld and Factorio. Not as strong on uh, the Factorio side of things, but there's a lot of uh, resource movement and being able to build out pseudo uh, supply chains to be able to uh, move uh, stuff around uh, via just conveyor belts and through uh, log fumes and that sort of thing. It's fascinating uh, watching it being developed. Sweet. Well, I can get behind that. I'm all for anything that's even remotely related to Factorio, so. Yeah, I'm getting absolute shit. Same here. Let's see if I can get a second one without having to go to another queue, because I've only got four games remaining on my queue. Huh. Okay, I may have something here. Uh, this is Early Access MMO, so. Yo, there's some red flags. Yep. Back to normal. Uh, according to the tags, early access survival simulation MMO. <laughs> it has some okay. impressive screenshots, but yo, know, those could just be bull shots as well. It's not really showing any action, and it's not available for sale yet. So you know, a lot of red flags on this. And yeah. it looks like this is maybe their first developed game, or at least the first one on Steam. And uh, let's put it this way, their trailer is showing uh, 
a, a lot of building the game and not the actual gameplay. Oh, never mind. Now it's showing gameplay, and it, it's a very uh, snap together Lego style. With it looks like a lot of placeholder assets. So yeah, it's interesting. It's probably worth a check out later, but not right now. But it's not even available for sale yet. So yeah, there yeah. we go. Oh look, another well, battle got... royale game. Oh, I was gonna it. say. I was gonna say. Look at the title of my next one: Infected Battlegrounds. Can you guess what this is? Oh. It's a zombie survival battle royale game. I'm so sick and tired of battle royale. Me too. This looks terrible. Uh. Uh, if no, no. If you want terrible, uh, I'm not gonna put it on the list. But go look at the one I just saw, uh, Battle Royale Survivors. It is bad, damn bad. Uh, but uh, here's one that actually looks somewhat interesting: Star Singularity. This. I, feel like I think I've seen that game before. Uh, well, it's not listed on your wish list, and it's not available yet. So, uh, it it reminds me a lot of uh, the original uh, uh, Spaz, uh, Space Pirates and Zombies, uh, mixed with uh, maybe a bit of uh, trying to think of the name of it. It's not Galactic Civilizations because it's not full-on shipbuilding, but it, uh, a lot of hot swapping. I almost uh, Gertrude Space Battles, a uh, level of uh, ship customization, you know, swapping out parts. Uh, crafting, uh, uh, looks like it has a crafting component built into it. <sighs> Looking at the tags here. Thankfully, it doesn't have Battle Royale in it. Procedural generation, so essentially a roguelite uh, a space action game. Navigate your spacecraft through a galactic scale mystery. Make your uh, make sure to loot, craft, and upgrade your ship, uh, your star, uh, your space fleet. Your combat skills will be tested against a machine learning AI, as well as your friends in versus mode. So interesting. They're looking at doing machine learning AI for uh, the uh, your opponents. So, could be very, very interesting. Yeah, that's definitely. Could be. So that's my cue. Yep, I'm done with my cue too. Yeah. I only had those two. One, one recommend. One, uh, stay away. <laughs> uh, did or, you look well, at the one I suggested? Uh, you I did. Look at? I did. It doesn't. It uh, doesn't it, look good either. I, I would say it looks worse. <laughs> Which is, yeah, surprising, all things considered, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just yeah. Labeling Mon. Uh, but yeah, that is uh, the Discovery queue. I don't think you wanted to do another one, did you? Uh, are we going to no. end up going short this week? Uh, what are we at? Uh, 220? A bit. Yeah, we'll be a little short this week, but that's okay. Sometimes we're short, sometimes we're long. Sometimes we're actually entertaining. We're we're always entertaining. Someone out there always finds us entertaining. Lots of somebody's, at least lots for us. We're we're, we're clipping along in a decent download and and listen rate. So, yay! Well, we had a hell of a jump with Spotify, but then it kind of trailed off again. But this is the part of the podcast where you go first. 
again. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. If you want to find me on the YouTubes, you can do so by searching for Gaming Psychologist. The Spin Tires videos uh, are going to start going up this week, unless something has changed since we discussed that. Uh, as far uh, as I know, they haven't. I need okay. to sit down and uh, make my thumbnails, but... Yeah, I need yep. to do that, too, and schedule the first ones. Like, they're all uploaded and rendered out and everything. I just have to make thumbnails and get the first... Start getting them scheduled. Um, but that should have happened on Wednesday, if you're listening to this. Which would be in the past. Yes, indeed. So you can go to my YouTube channel. Uh, go to my YouTube channel? Go to my YouTube channel, matey. Arr. Avast, you hearties. Uh, and see some spin tires. And also the podcast on the YouTube channel. If you want to follow me on Twitter, where you can see me tweet about all kinds of things or retweet people that I follow when they say interesting things, you can do so by following me at JMA4707. If you want to head on over to my Twitch, where you can see community members streaming as I rebroadcast our more prominent community members. Also, you might catch me occasionally streaming or posting something for the uh, or using their premiere system so that people can comment live on the episodes and whatnot, you can do so over at twitch.tv slash jarthur4707. And if you want to be my friend on Steam, my username is jarthur4707. I accept all friend requests from members in the community. Uh, you guys have all been awesome so far, and I have made many friends over the last couple of years that we've been doing this, and I hope to continue making new friends. And if you wish to make them question your sanity and let them know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is dickbags. Nice. Dickbags are... It, it, it felt fitting this week, you know? Dickbags are always nice. Bags of dicks. You know they actually sell those? <laughs> I'm not surprised. Of course that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, so which you, which is also a fun subreddit you? to go to. Nice. Uh, of course, where that's I'm a subreddit. <laughs> so, so where can they find you, and what's going on for you, buddy? Oh well, you can find me over at Game Earth Caffeine Rage, where I'm slowly getting back up to full strength on all my uh, series. I've finally picked out what I want to play. I'm going to be testing it this week, as I'm also. Going to start rushing through Fallout New Vegas because kind of took a couple weeks off from that. But, you know, uh, Fallout New Vegas is going to be more story content, so it's going to be fairly quick, hopefully. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. But, yeah, that's not going to be on the channel. It's uh, uh, going to be what I'm going to be testing this week, but as well as spin tires and, of course, the ever-present uh, world, which... Oh, RimWorld just will not die. <laughs> oh, uh, maybe it's the fact that I'm uh, I'm running too many mods and it's changing the balance of the game, or I've actually gotten decent at the game. One of the two. I don't know about that one though. But yeah, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of what happened in the last couple episodes. Uh, well, one of the people on my name list, Cue Ball. He's been repeatedly attacked, uh, uh, being attacked by cougars. <laughs> nice. No, 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 not that type of cougar. Not, not the one you find in the bar. No. The wildlife. Wow. But yeah, uh, 
RimWorld is always full of random, random things. Oh, and I am going to start disassembling prisoners uh, for uh, body parts. So, you know, war crimes. Then we're going to make a hat. Yay. Because, you know, hats, uh, that's what really drives the economy. Hats. It's like Team Fortress 2 all over again. But yeah, you could do you could check all that out as well. The Sunday Sampler, which this past week was Gladiabots, me praising and then damning it <laughs> and telling you to basically download the free version. <laughs> yeah, just like I did earlier. And hopefully I'll be doing it again this week. Well, hopefully not with Gladiabots. Hopefully I'll find something else decent. Because, yeah, the Sunday Sampler is always a little bit chaotic because it's built on what I get review copies of and just what's able to be recorded because uh, sometimes those games just will not record all that well. It just happens because I you know use software recording, not a hardware recorder. One of these days I'm going to fix that though. I'm going to get a hardware uh, recording solution and then have all sorts of new problems. <laughs> but you can find my problems over Game of Caffeine Rage or see me tweet about all my problems or random shit that I find. Or just annoy Jared with, because, you know, there's always that as well. Gaming with CR on the Twitter. Uh, what, did you say something? I went, woo! <laughs> oh. Uh, I just heard, what? It sounded like you had a goose in there or something. Goose! da 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 Oh. But, yeah, I think we've lost our sanity enough, so let's get the hell out of here. Uh, once again, you could email us, vglpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, gaming-related topics, or trying to figure out what the fuck is wrong with us. Or just tweet us, vglpodcast, on the Twitter. Our patrons have helped pay for our Podbean account, but you'd uh, contribute more, patreon.com slash vglpodcast, which, like I said, is for our Podbean account mostly, with also some advertising here or there vglpodcast.podbean.com which has our show notes, the RSS feed or you can find us on iTunes, Google Play Spotify pretty much most of the popular uh, uh, podcast aggregators except for that one of course (laughs) except for Spreaker because it didn't update the way it was supposed to and it's like oh you're going to have to come do it manually and I'm like fuck you Spreaker (laughs) you don't know me very well apparently (laughs) you're going to have to uh, do this manually no, I'm not. <laughs> you can't make me. You're not my boss. You're not the boss of me. That's Katie. You ain't my mama. You can't make me do that. <laughs> uh, but what we, uh, what I can make you do is uh, say bye-bye after I uh, say our intro and outro music is on the ground by Kevin McLeod and our Discovery Discovery Cube music is doobly-doo by the same artist. His work can be found at incomputech.com and... As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye-bye now. Uh, See you next time. another one of those peanut butter bars (laughs) yeah i got the recipe for the peanut butter bars i may be making those in the uh, near future yeah katie told me she sent it to you they are 
delicious. Well, uh, I mean, it's chocolate, butter, peanut butter, and sugar. Yeah, I mean, it's... Like, that's what it is. I mean, it's so simple, even I can make it. It's so simple, even (laughs) I can do it. Yeah, you can do it. Well, uh, in uh, return, I sent her uh, something that was on my to-make list, and she kind of uh, went insane. What Uh, is it? Mexican hot chocolate uh, cookies. Oh, yeah, we had uh, something similar to that from this place in town that does... Um, they make ice cream sandwiches using homemade cookies and homemade ice cream. And they like have a special cookie of the week every week. And one week it was, uh, Mexican hot, hot chocolate cookies or Chilean hot chocolate, something hot chocolate cookies. Yeah. Essentially it's a chili spice or powder. uh, Cayenne pepper, uh, at least for this version. Uh, Not a lot to make it hot, uh, but a little bit of a, uh, of an afterburn, you know, not yeah. not afterburn like you know a day or two later. I'm just talking about yeah, you know, just a little bit of spice. Yeah, and they were delicious with ice cream. So well, I, yeah. I just sent that randomly because I wanted to send something in return, and she went absolutely b- ballistic. I, I wasn't expecting that response. I, I'm not used to getting that response out of people. I don't know what to do. There, uh, she was happy. <laughs> Good job. Good job. 